Brother Harley Snowd is the pastor of North Life Baptist Church in Worcester. Thank you. I've been working on it. <laughs> Not Worcester. Yes. It's Worcester. Worcester. Right? Right. Every, time, every time I think, no offense about this, but every time I think of Worcester, I think of Worcestershire sauce. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Which is also so, hard to pronounce. So that's, yeah. that's how I've been like, it's not Worcester, it's Worcester. <laughs> and uh, so that's, that's helped me there. So but we're so glad to have him. And uh, uh, about a year and a half ago, uh, began, well, why don't you kind of explain, uh, some of our folks weren't here yesterday, why don't you kind yeah. of explain uh, how the Lord led you into this? Sure. Thank you, Pastor. So uh, we started our church in Worcester in tw- uh, 2009. And, uh, and then uh, about a year and a half ago, we started Inspire Counseling Ministries. Um, I've, one of the things I experienced when we got into ministry was feeling inadequate in the area of pastoral counseling. Started to get some training in that, um, and then went to seminary, got an additional uh, degree in that, and then we're ministering to churches now. So we started wellness weekends like the one we're hosting here or being a part of here um, probably about six years ago and started having pastors ask, uh, such as your pastor, you know, have you thought about outsourcing that or doing that as a ministry to other churches? And so about a year and a half ago, my wife and I uh, felt led to start that with some counsel. So we've been traveling. We do typically once a month. We'll be gone from our church and um, just trying to communicate truth that is uh, confident in the sufficiency of Scripture, but also has uh, is clinically informed, is, is um, giving to people tools and resources that hopefully do not in any way undermine their confidence in God's Word, but also maybe broaden our perspective, open our hearts up to be more compassionate and considerate of the real needs that people navigate. And so it's just been a joy to see God uh, grow the ministry, and we're grateful just to be here today. Amen. And uh, I was surprised by something you said. You said you felt inadequate as a pastor. I thought pastors are supposed to know everything. Uh-huh. Yeah, sure. Pastors feel inadequate? Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> At least some do. <laughs> uh, yes, I would definitely say that is very true, yeah. Um, What's great, and uh, it's obviously, I think it's a need. Um, Obviously, there's a lot of different types of counselors and things like this that we have in the world today, but unfortunately, there's very few Christian counselors that come into counseling with a biblical perspective and uh, wanting to point people not just to medication or something like that, but actually to Scripture and to the Word of God. And uh, obviously, there are times when that is needed. but especially trying to help Christians and really help them to get a good understanding of the Word of God and things um, through counseling. And so I'm, I'm really excited about uh, what God's using uh, Brother Harley and, and others kind of starting to take up this as well because I think there's a great need for that. Amen. Um, so what we're going to do this morning is um, we had mentioned that we were going to do kind of a Q&A. And uh, we, Brother Harley had mentioned that he had a survey that he'd like people to fill out and um, and if on that survey there, you could ask questions and things like that. And again, these are all anonymous. There's no names attached to any of these things. So if you, if you hear your question being asked, don't feel like I know who you are or like everybody else in the room is looking at you or something like that. Oh, why did they ask this question? Nobody knows who these questions are from, all right? Um, in fact, some of the, sometimes I'll even try to rephrase it so it's not, um, you know, it's not the exact way that it was presented. So... Um, but just kind of um, maybe kind of starting off here, um, there's, there's a, in fact, he actually said, I think this is probably the most questions mm-hmm. that a church has ever yeah. 
submitted. So proportionally, I don't yeah, know if that's bad for us. Yeah. Is that a bad thing? You guys have you get you guys. Does that I mean love we have you. a lot of problems? Yeah, no. You have major issues. Okay, no, I'm just, I'm just is that is that a blessing? Can we finish there? <laughs> um, so, yeah. Um, where do you go with that? Yeah, I'm not yeah. sure. I'll um, let you try. Yeah, thanks. Uh, <laughs> um, let's kind of maybe to start with this. How do we destigmatize? the negative perception surrounding mental health. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because there's kind of, you know, even I would say even like among Christians and things like this, you know, there's been kind of, we don't talk about mental mm-hmm. health and, mm-hmm. and it's kind of been kind of a taboo thing. So sure. how do we destigmatize that? That's a great question. So I actually was talking to pastor's parents on the way uh, back to their place. They're hosting me this weekend and enjoyed getting to know them better. And uh, we were talking about the idea that even being here this morning, if we're not careful, we think, well, if I'm in this session, it must mean there's something wrong with me or I've got some major problem. And I, I do think that um, we allow that stigma to hinder us from being open to one another, um, being vulnerable. I think especially we men in the room, um, it's an area that we really struggle with, not feeling like we're less of a man or we don't have our act together. And I would just say to you men especially, there's nothing more manly or godly than being open to the people that God has put in your life to meet the actual needs that you have um, instead of trying to internalize that or process that without others' help. But a couple things I would say. One would be I think a lot of the stigma is more in our own heads. Self-talk. I, I, don't, well, I had a, someone ask me this recently, and I've been thinking on this. What are lies that I believe are true that I've been living my whole life in light of those being true and they're not? And the opposite is equally true. What are things that I believe um, are false that actually are true? Um, And so I think we have to identify in our own heads and hearts things that we've believed that, honestly, we do not have biblical foundation for. Um, And I think we have to own that. So I would just encourage you, a lot of the stigma is not others don't view it that way. Um, A lot of that is what you're maybe assuming they believe or they feel if you would share a burden. I joked about it yesterday uh, briefly, but if you ever ask somebody, how are you doing? And then you regret asking that question. um, I I think sometimes we we impose that in these areas as well. Um, And so I think we need to be open to help from others. Um, The other thing I would say, too, is in our families, I think just making it something that we're comfortable talking about. Um, and making sure that our children and our spouse knows that if they are struggling with something internally, that we want to hear from them. I think it's assuming they do have some challenges on those fronts and making ourselves available to talk with them, help them find the help, the counsel, the resources that they need. I think that's a key part of it. Um, and then the last thing I would say is, I don't know if you've noticed, um, I, we have a few Michigan fans that I've met in the church here. I'm a Buckeye through and through. But if you notice how our kids tend to pick up what, who The teams we cheer for, they cheer for, right? Um, my youngest son is a Michigan fan. He was born in Michigan, and I think he cheers for Michigan because I cheer for Ohio State, or at least his brother does, you know. But we, we tend to form opinions based upon those that are part of our formative years, and I just would encourage you, be careful how you talk about these issues in front of your children, how you interact with these issues in front of your grandkids, because they're forming a view of that. And some of the things you may be tempted to marginalize or diminish or even, um, if you're not careful, mock or ridicule, they may actually be struggling with something in that area. 
And we may just mean as an off-the-cuff, you know, they're a little crazy or whatever we would say. Um, and, and so I think a lot of it is just how we talk about it inside of our heads, how we talk about it inside of our homes and our church. And I think, obviously, to me, this weekend, and I appreciate your pastor being open to hosting this, this is hopefully normalizing the conversation, that it's okay to bring these things up and uh, through the help of God's Word and Spirit um, to speak truth and hope into those uh, dark corners of our minds. I've been in churches. I just was in a church three weeks ago, uh, maybe four weeks ago now, where a, a dear lady who for the last 50 years has been battling a very intense struggle um, she said, our church, she'd been in that church all of her life. We've never talked about this before. And she's been silently suffering with this for over 50 years. And just to see her break down about that. And I, just, I don't want our churches to be that. I don't want my family or my home. So I think a lot of it's just how we talk about it, how we interact with it. Yeah. Um, what, what part does, maybe you could say, what part does Scripture and the church play in a recovery process. Mm-hmm. And obviously when we're thinking about when we're talking about mental health, yep. you know, there's obviously a broad range mm-hmm. here, right? Yep. Yep. So if we say somebody is struggling with mental health, we're not saying that they're depressed mm-hmm. necessarily. Mm-hmm. We're not saying that, you know, they're having suicidal thoughts, but mm-hmm. you know, maybe just because of the stress of work or some things like that, we're just really mm-hmm. down. Mm-hmm. Um you know, I think when you look through Scripture, you can find there were times when there were men of the Bible that got down. They were discouraged and sure. things like that. Um, so sometimes we can get this idea of, um, you know, that this mental mm-hmm. is is drastic. Mm-hmm. But there's mm-hmm. there's a wide range there. There is. Yeah, it's a great question. Maybe can we turn to Second Peter, and I'll just kind of show you. I don't want to just talk in theoretical, but just walk you through a brief passage that I think helps us understand how Scripture does intersect with the challenges we face. Um, and, I, again, this is just one example. But in this Q&A, so we would say we're asking questions, and I think what your pastor is stressing, what I'm trying to reinforce today is, the Bible is sufficient, right, to answer the questions that we have. And so just I, this kind of just, I think, would help you understand the flow of it. So if you look there at verse 3, he talks about that God has given us, according to his power, all things that pertain unto life and godliness. Um, where do we find all of those things? We find them in the Word, right, that he has given us that. So the Bible is sufficient to meet the needs that we have, and not just the spiritual needs, but also the other needs. And one of the things I will often say to folks trying to get help, even for the desperate situations, is God will never leave the, lead the believer to, to engage in therapy or an intervention that is antithetical to the Word of God. Um, so the Word of God gives us a point of reference for any of these things that we navigate where it's, it feels gray, it feels um, subjective, it feels, I don't know how to feel or think or what to do about this, the Word of God is sufficient. So it provides a, a filter. It provides a point of reference by which we then um, evaluate anything else that we add. Um, I've been taught when I'm trying to discern God's will, start with what you know. And then anything God adds to what you know is right and true will always be compatible with it. Um, God's will is never mutually exclusive. By that I mean what's, best, what's his will for your family is also going to be what's best for your ministry, What's best for your ministry is also going to be what's best for your own personal well-being. 
those things all fit together. So starting with what you know, which obviously, where do we go to find that? It is the word of God. Uh, Then go to verse 4. He says, Whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these you might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. So the word of God is sufficient. Number two, it gives to us hope. Um, of all the things I try to do in counseling, and I didn't mention this yet, but I, I do a lot of counseling one-on-one both in our community with our church people and folks that locally live that need help and, and encouragement, but I counsel a lot of ministry leaders, missionaries on the field via Zoom or folks that are in the States. And my primary goal is to leave them with hope. And I'll be honest with you, there are regularly situations that I come into or I'm invited into that in the situation I find nothing to hang my hat of hope on. There's nothing there intrinsically. But when we bring the word of God into the equation, there's always reason for hope. And so I just want to encourage you, we are not at a disadvantage as a believer with the word of God Uh, We actually have certain advantages. We have certain resources at our disposal. Um, And one of those that's most important would be the the thing of of hope. Um, And then verses 5 to 7, we'll not read them for sake of time. But notice he then says, add to your faith, virtue, to virtue, knowledge, temperance. He goes through the list. The Word of God also gives us practical steps. So it's not just this kind of idealistic hope. Then it tells us what to do. And, and if you understand the flow of First Peter one five to, or Second Peter one five to seven, there's subsequent steps. Start with this, and then while you're still working on that, add this. So the Word of God gives us practical steps to walk our way out of that emotion, that struggle, that burden that we have um, that that God gives to us. And then I think lastly in verses eight to eleven. He talks about our entrance into the kingdom. We don't forget that we are purged from our sins. We're going to have a glorious entrance, a confident entrance into the kingdom of Jesus Christ. So the word of God renews our confidence. It it steadies our heart when our body is not feeling so confident, when our world is shaken. Some of the questions that we're asked are um, very specific and difficult situations, and the word of God renews our confidence. I honestly think church, is a lot of it is very therapeutic. We're going to sing songs to the Lord today, right? I can't wait for the worship. That's one of my favorite portions of the service. And we're reminding ourselves, renewing ourselves in what is true. So the Word of God is a key component in our own well-being, just the maintenance, the preventative maintenance that goes with our well-being, and then to offer hope and healing and direction to others. We only can fully um, get the advantages of God's Word when we do it. And I'm grateful that God's Word gives us handlebars, things to grab onto, to, to then live it out in our lives. Um, so the church has that unique resource at its disposal. Um, the believer has that resource. And yet, unfortunately, we don't take as much advantage of it as we should. So I, one of the practical things I would encourage you to do is, what are ways that you can integrate God's Word just visibly in your life? Uh, for example, I'm regularly counseling in areas that are not there's no scripture directly on that issue, but my Bible is open on my desk. And the conversation I'm having is over the word of God. There's that visual reminder that this is still the source of our hope and direction. And so I think our lives, our ministries need to have an open Bible um, to, to speak into these situations that we navigate. May I, may I ask a follow-up question? Sure. Mm-hmm. Sure. 
mm-hmm. two years ago where I sought help from a Christian counselor. Sure. And we did those very things. Yeah. One of the things that troubled me then and even now, how do you address a, a Christian who's come to you, you're sharing the word with them, working them through mm-hmm. maybe a, a time in their life where they're depressed, and they've been prescribed mm-hmm. medicine. Sure. Mm-hmm. How can I be a Christian? It's supposed to be full of joy, 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 and happiness. Sure. But yet, medicinally, mm-hmm. I'm taking a pill to help me. Mm-hmm. Sure. So how, how do you help them balance what they mm-hmm. need, maybe biologically mm-hmm. and spiritually? That's a great question. Yeah, go ahead. Let me just kind of repeat that so, in case there's somebody watching online or something that didn't hear the question. Um, so, obviously, as Brother Holly was saying, as a Christian, we go to the Word of God, but yet, someone has been struggling with depression or something, they're also prescribed medication. Mm-hmm. So how does a Christian basically balance being having the Word of God and also medication at the same time? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, good question. And we, we did discuss this briefly yesterday a bit um, for those who were here, but just by, I guess, to be clear, I view, and I think accurately so, there are three sources of, for example, let's say depression. So you would have... You would have psychological reasons for depression. You would have biological or physical reasons for depression. And then thirdly, you would have theological reasons for depression. So I think it's identifying which, likely it's all three, maybe two of those, and allowing there to be consultation. Just like we would consult with a doctor on any other physical malady, yes, or glasses, exactly, um, there also is a, a part that they play. And, and what I stressed yesterday is actually the physical is often the most urgent. I'm not saying it's the most important, but it's the first issue that has to be addressed. And I mentioned the example of, of sleep, sleeplessness. The first question I ask counselees is, tell me your sleep cycle for the last month. And if, that is, if that's very inadequate, nothing else I say to them is going to be of any value. They're a zombie. Um, and so it, it, it's enlisting those resources that help to stabilize and to address the what are called somatic, having to do with the body symptoms, which then allows us to identify what still is spiritual. And one of the things I have found is actually addressing the physical clarifies what is spiritual. Um, it's not that we're saying the physical is more important than the spiritual, but we are embodied souls. Um, for us to say, for example, today, I, I have a body, but I am not a body, in my opinion, is inaccurate. How we develop is closely tied to our physical development or the opposite. Some of us are over the tipping point, right? As we begin to feel things unravel a bit or digress a bit physically, we are embodied souls. One day God will glorify that. So because of that, it is foolish to ignore that or to either pass judgment on someone else or to feel guilty ourselves for addressing what is a physical issue. I think the only caution I would give on that is to make every issue only a physical issue is also just as foolish. Um, and, and I have found, as many of you know, there are side effects, right? It, it's always a trade-off. Um, and often in my counseling, I've found as we peel back the layers of the onion, the symptoms that they're dealing with are the result of what they did to deal with a, a root issue. 
So I, th- I think we have to be very discerning and thorough, but I do think it's in coordination, biblical Christian counseling with primary care physician um, and anything else that needs to be a part of that process. Um, guilt, that's why I think that's a great question we started with today. That's why that guilt creeps in there. I'm not strong enough. I'm not spiritual enough. Um, and I think that's what this church is trying to counter to give room for God to use. Um, everything in, in the world is really a source of co- God's common grace, right? Um, the rain today, right? The rain last night fell on the just and the unjust. Same is true with certain resources. Those can be redeemed. Those can be used uh, to help us. And I don't know if we have medical personnel in the room or not. I'm sure many of them, they went into that calling not just to pay the bills, but to minister. And I think there's gifts, there's callings there. Uh, and so the biblical counselor and church should wisely partner with those resources um, in addressing that. It's a false dichotomy to say either I'm Christian in my therapeutic model or I am medical and I am biological. Those two things are not meant to be at odds with each other. It's a great question. Um, what about this one? Um uh, so if someone is wondering if they're experiencing depression, where can they begin looking for help? Yeah, so we um, one of the struggles when you're depressed is that often you, you don't have a lot of energy or drive to initiate or to reach out. And so I do think that that's often a hurdle is um, just having the initiative um, and knowing where to turn and how to maybe avail yourself of the help that God has put in your life. Um, I would give you just a couple of things maybe to think about in the area of depression um, as far as how to find help, where to go. I mentioned this yesterday, but begin with the God-given leadership he's already put in your life. So if you're a, if you're a teenager or young adult today, who has God put in your life that you know is in your life? You didn't pick them and they didn't pick you. God put them in your life. Same with maybe a parent, um, your pastor, letting them into the process of then seeking out additional support. What often happens, and I don't mean to scare you today, but one of the issues we have going right now would be gender dysphoria. And a lot of parents are seeking out psychological help to aid them in addressing that with their child. And the issue that comes up with that, I just had a good friend of mine who's an attorney in Indiana, um, Joshua Hershberger, was saying to me that once you get a, a psychologist involved, if it's between what the psychologist says about that gender issue or the parent, the judge will side with the psychologist every time. So who we choose to help us enter into these conversations largely shapes whether we're able to successfully navigate them or not. So I think that's where the God-given leadership, just like, for example, your pastor, they're going to be a good sounding board to point you toward resources that are aligned with current influence in your life to make sure that it is structured not saying, as he has just said, that we're ostracizing or distancing from it, but we need to make sure we're very strategic in how we build those partnerships. Um, the tendency is to say, well, the pastor's in charge of spiritual things. I'm just going to let my doctor you know, refer me to someone. Um, I think that needs to be done very carefully, and I think God-given leadership currently in your life can help you navigate that. Um, and then I think a key with depression is finding a, Christ, a trusted Christian friend that knows you struggle with it and is going to help you in those low moments. You have some sort of code you just send them that basically says, I'm having one of those days. 
They then initiate whatever you've agreed to that they're going to do to help you and support you and maybe say to you things that you can't say to yourself that challenge you and comfort you and structure you in your emotions. Um, so I think that's key. And then I mentioned it yesterday as well. Don't listen to yourself. Talk to yourself. Find Scripture. Find the Psalm 42 passages. Why are you downcast, O my soul? Put your hope in God. Find Scripture that you're going to say to yourself when your emotions are screaming something different or counter that. Um, that often checks that. And then I think just being in the Word, great peace of they which love thy law, nothing shall offend them. Um, we're going to talk about anxiety. Be anxious for nothing. The Word of God gives us things to think about today. We'll be studying that later. So I think it's being in the Word and in prayer with all those other resources brought to bear. Um, kind of, you, you kind of mentioned it, you know, kind of even like in our society today with the gender dysphoria and things like this. Mm-hmm. Um, why, why do you think the younger generation seems to be experiencing a lot of almost, I don't know if it, we would say more anxiety and more stress, mm-hmm. but it's just more visible maybe. Yeah. Um, I, I heard an interesting thought that I've been chewing on that I think I would agree with. Somebody said, um, a, it's called the Harvard study. They've been doing it for, I think, 80 years now, where they're studying people throughout their life and specifically how, are they, how did they trend toward happiness or unhappiness. And one of the men who did is a part of that study, they did like JFK when he was in college, he was a part of this study. So it's been going on for a long time. And that question was asked to him, and he said the following. He said, I don't know that previous generations had any less levels of anxiety and depression. They just didn't have the luxury of time to think about it. Um, And so I do think that that's a valid part. Some of our even like... um, uh, moving between churches. I'm not trying to open a can of worms today on people who hop around to churches, but we, we're used to certain luxuries. Um, the fact we can even pick and choose what church we go to this morning, there are people in other parts of the world that they have one option, go to church or don't. You know, it, There's only one Bible-preaching church within driving distance or walking distance of their house. I think the same is true with our mental well-being. I think we have more margin in certain spaces of our life. We also have more outside voices. I don't know how many of you were on social this morning, how many of you watched some cable news. It's, 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 it's in our lives more than it was in previous generations. It's talked about more, which I think is good, like we're doing today. But one of the, the unintended consequences of that may be we also consider that we may have it more consistently or frequently than we would have. Um, So I do think that's a factor. And then I think the other issue is we're dealing with things that do not directly impact us. Um, We used to be more local, like there, you know, the earthquakes in Turkey, or we could talk about things that if I had lived a hundred years ago, I would have heard about it probably two years after it occurred. We are not omniscient. Our brains cannot handle thinking on some of these things. I'm not saying we don't pray for it. We're not trying to be aware of things where needed. But I think we need to ask ourselves the question, is this something I'm responsible to know? Is this something I'm responsible to do something about? If not, I need to just surrender that to the Lord. And so I think we're, we're, we're dealing with being inundated, not just with information, but then, as you've noticed, they tell us how to feel about it, right? You ought to panic. You ought to worry. You ought to vote this way. You know, I'm, I'm tired of hearing this is the, this is the vote 
of the generation. This is the most important election of all time. And just that kind of a narrative, the weightiness of that. And I think we have, un, not maybe willingly or knowingly, but we have followed along in those, those directions to our emotions. And so I, I do think for young people especially, um, not only are they getting too much information at times, they're getting too much interpretation of that information. Um, and so I think we need to be very strategic. I heard the other day someone added it up. The average American spends uh, six hours a day on their phone. Six hours a day. We're only awake for typically maybe 14 or 15. Think about this. In 12 months, we're on our phone three of those months. Um, and so those kind of things, that affects our neurons. It affects our emotions. I'm not preaching against iPhones or anything like that. I'm just saying we there are some direct correlations. As those things have increased, so has our um, unhealth mentally, emotionally, um, and I think it undermines our community with one another. Um, the virtual convinces us we've connected when truly we have not. Um, and so I think we have to fight that. Wow, that's really that's really interesting when you think about that and correlating a lot of the unhealth and things that is really starting to be prevalent mm-hmm. in our society with, uh, you know, just you have any information that you want at your fingertip yeah. through social media, through news and things like that. So, yeah, maybe uh, cut back on some of that stuff. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, for someone who has someone in their life that may be experiencing depression mm. um, or anxiety, um, how, how can they help that person? One of the hardest things to do is to help somebody who doesn't want help, right? That's, that's a, and I would guess in this room, I mentioned this yesterday, but a lot of times in a wellness weekend, the folks who most need to be here will not be here. And you may be the one representing that adult son or daughter um, or that family member or that friend that you know. Um, and so what do we do to help them? And I would say two things. There's more, but the one would be um, remember the, the part, John, John 15, 16, 17, where Christ says, I'm going away, I'm going to send another, a comforter, that actually that's better for you than me being there. Have you ever thought about that? The fact that us having the Holy Spirit in, inside of us, that Jesus says that that's better than him being in this room this morning. Like, I struggle to believe that. Like, if Jesus showed up, I'd opt out of being the temple of the Holy Ghost for a few hours, okay, just to have him literally be here and break bread with us and open the word to us. But the reason for that, if you think about that, is Jesus was in one locale his entire earthly ministry. You and I, we go throughout our week, and and God is still present with us. He's in us. He's working through us. Um, And so we have this agent of change. We have the paraclete. Uh, would be the the word there. And the word paraclete has this idea, one who is called alongside. So I would encourage you with this kind of analogy, our profile as we help these folks who either don't want our help or don't know they need our help or God's help, is to have the profile of one who comes alongside them. We're not talking down to them. We're not underneath them, letting them talk down to us. We are coming just into their life as a peer, and saying, I could be struggling, or I have struggled in this same area. Maybe someday I will, but I'm coming into their life. Any other profile is a fleshly profile. Um, To dismiss it, to judge it, to um, react in any other way than just to say, I'm here to help you through this. 
um, and to come alongside them is what invites the Holy Spirit into that conversation. So I think a lot of it is just our profile. And then secondly, I would say it's allowing them to discover the truth for themselves. Um, I don't know how this has worked for you, but if you tried lecturing them, how'd that work out for you? You know, would you sit at my feet and I will tell you what's wrong with you and what you need to fix? Um, and so I, I found the best way is to give them especially resources that on their own terms and time they can read, they can reach out to. Um, so I'll try to find a book and I'll just, there are folks right now that will not let me counsel or pastor them. And I found the best way to influence them is just to share, here's something that spoke to me. Here's a book that I'm reading. Man, it just really challenged my thinking, maybe in the specific area that they're dealing with, but I'm just sharing out the overflow of my own sanctification, and often that's viewed as less threatening. And I've talked to some of them after the fact, and they have admitted that shortly after I advised them to do something or shared something without me knowing, they clicked on that video, they had read that book, so I think it's allowing them to do it on their own time and on their own terms and then just being available, saying, if you ever want to talk, I'm here. But you cannot force it. Um, you cannot uh, lecture it. And I would say likely that person will be reached through a third party. If it's your son or daughter and they're away from the Lord or they're struggling physically, spiritually, it's probably going to be someone else that God brings into their life that God will use to speak truth in their life. So I think you're just there to be available Give them resources, um, but it's it's the long view, and uh, that's a very tough situation. So, anybody want to make a comment or a question off of that one? So I I would use, I'm fine with video content, and there were maybe some things I could send you or get you afterwards. I do think um, the best resources that I have found there, and I don't think I'm showing it in the morning service, but there is a book on depression and on anxiety that I use both to give to those who need it as the one struggling with it. It's about 36 pages, I think both the books are. They're not a long book but also is something that if you're just trying to understand the problem and help someone, um, the one book is called um, Anxiety, the Anatomy and Cure. It's a, a good little book you can find on Amazon. And then I shared yesterday, Depression, the Sun Always Rises. Those are probably the best two little booklets that I have found. And there are some video resources connected to those two books, but those would be the first two things that come to my mind. Um, uh Visually, I understand what you're saying. I do think you have to have a robust understanding of the theology and the practical implications of that. Um, and so to understand depression and anxiety enough to minister to somebody, you cannot do that in a cursory way. Um, it needs to be thorough. But we all learn differently. I do understand that. Some of us are more visual. Others are more, you know, we like to read or process it differently. So I think it's finding what resource works best. But those would be the two books Gospel, uh, Anxiety, Anatomy, and Cure by Bob Kellerman, and then um, Depression, The Sun Always Rises by Margaret Ashmore. Those would be the two just good books, tools um, that I use all the time, and uh, they're very effective. I re- I'm regularly reading through them, reminding myself. 
some of what we'll study this morning comes from the book on anxiety. So, yeah. And I'll think about, Shane, if there's other aspects of that to get your way. Um, kind of, uh, this might even kind of go back to what we were talking about before with um, why we seem to be seeing more of anxiety and stress and things. But what are ways to cope with with fear, especially in today's economy, with you know just the weight of the world and the way that everything is going in, in our society? Um, obviously, the more you dwell on those things, like we were talking about, the more you're watching the news and mm-hmm. everything is just, there is no good news. Yeah. Yeah. You know, in news, it's all bad news. It's all depressing. Um, you know, nothing is ever good. It's all, mm-hmm. and like you said, it's whether it's here or whether it's halfway around the world, it's always negative. Mm-hmm. It's always bad. Sure. Um, so what would be some ways to cope with fear and things like that with just today's society and economy and things? Um, <clears throat> it's a great question. I think the the first thing I would say is I would caution us with, Americanizing or westernizing our view of crisis. Um, I was just in Chile uh, a month ago and watching these young Chilean pastors who have nothing and they're hungry for the word, they're passionate about planting churches all over Santiago, you know, five and a half million people that just fill the valley there. They're oblivious to the economic things that stress us out. Um, so I think, again, it's a luxury that even we have the we have the ability to stress these matters that other places, they're not, it's not even on their radar. I'm not diminishing the stress. I'm just saying we need sometimes a broader context to frame those concerns. Um, and, and so I, that would just be an initial thought in general. We, we superimpose often on the Scripture our cultural bias and context when God's Word is much broader than that, right? Aren't we in one way thankful for that? Um, I just would remind us this morning that our future does not ultimately hinge upon the health and well-being of our nation. As much as I love America, um, it's, it's bigger than that, right? God was here long before 1776, and he'll be here long after we don't even have time itself, his kingdom, his rule. So I do think we have to let that broader context shape our emotions when we do get caught up in what I also, if I'm not careful, also am concerned about equally— um, the other thing would be biblically, Matthew chapter 6 speaks specifically to the economic concerns, right? He talks about, you know, you're worried about food and raiment. And they says, hold on a minute, God, he closed the flowers. He knows if a bird hits the ground. I remember several years ago in the winter, the church plant that we had, we were renting a building, and I, I had just read those verses in Matthew 6, and I nudged open the door, and in the snow was a dead sparrow. And I just thought, God, you knew that bird when it fell. Like there's nothing that's going on in our world this morning that God doesn't know. Just that gives comfort. He knows about the economic things right now. He knows where things are going. Like steady your heart with that knowledge. Um, And then in Matthew 6, he goes on, he says, Take no thought for those things. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. All these things will be added unto you. And then this phrase, sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. Why does he say evil and not good there? Why does he say sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof? It's because we only can handle the weightiness of a broken world one day at a time. And so what I have found, whether it's economic or physical or emotional, I don't have God's grace for the what-ifs of tomorrow. 
Uh, I don't have the strength to process fully what's going to be in 10 years. All I have is what I need today. God has structured our lives to be lived out one day at a time. Um, And so I would encourage you to structure your thoughts and emotions in that way. Do I have enough for today? You know, a lot of us in this room, because of Costco and Sam's Club, (laughs) you know, we could live for months before we need really, really need anything. Um, and I'm preaching to myself when I say that. So I think we need to add that framework to those, those emotions. Um, not that I sh- I'm not saying we shouldn't be concerned, but at least let that context shape that emotion. Our emotions should be what reinforces right decisions. They're the caboose of life. Our thoughts are the engine. So, so it, the battle is won in these areas, not in our hearts, but in our minds. God always speaks to our mind, which then affects our heart. What the devil does is he circumnavigates the mind and goes right to the heart with music, um, with culture, with empty philosophy. And so we have to keep the mind engaged and we have to allow God's word to structure our thoughts. Is God worried about our economy this morning? He's not. Does our economy and where it's trending, does that in any way threaten God's sovereign plan and will? It doesn't. We just need to hear that out loud probably again this morning. So putting influences in our life that are reminding us of that. Um, David encouraged himself in the Lord when his men were turning on him there at the end of 1 Samuel. And so we have to encourage ourselves in what God has said, who he is, and the fact that he's in control. Um, So yeah, I think those would be my thoughts on that. Our economy is not our God. It's not where we look for our sufficiency or our strength. It is the God who maybe at times meets our needs through that economy, but it's him. I think I think you mentioned this yesterday um, in the first session about how how we deal with some of these things mm-hmm. also is um, it, it it's either going to help or hurt in sharing the gospel. Yes, uh, because people are looking at Christians to seeing how we respond to these things. Uh, they're looking at Christians how how do they handle stress? How do they handle? Uh, anxiety how do they handle burnout how do they handle these things and if if we don't respond properly and again as we respond properly that enables us to be able to share the gospel that christ is sufficient in our life and that yeah we don't we may not have all the answers but we know who does Um, and christ is still in control and yeah we don't we may not know what's going on with the economy and everything but we know that hey god's not worried about it yeah um and so even in how we respond helps us to be able to share the gospel so good. Um, with others. I think, you, I think you kind of touched on that yesterday morning. Yeah, can I add one thing? So um, could it be that what we're praying for, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, that actually is it possible that the downturn or the struggle is the answer to that prayer? You know, we, we, when has the church most flourished? When we've been most prosperous? No, when we've been on the run, when we've been under the gun. And so I, I just, what is our priority? Or is it the kingdom of God or is it our kingdom? And again, that's easy to say, right? Um, I want to eat lunch today. I want to have a comfortable vehicle to drive. And the list goes on and on as well as for my kids and grandkids. But whose kingdom is it all about? And um, I think God may be answering our prayer even through some of these struggles. So I think it's just a change of our mindset. Um, so much of it is just how we view it. Um, that affects how we then feel and live as a result of it. Um, let me let me give one more here. Um, how do you cope with being alone when spending time with God still 
isn't enough and there isn't anyone else available to spend time with you. Mm-hmm. Um, loneliness is probably one of the hardest burdens to bear. You know, whatever else you're, you're maybe shouldering or burdening, bur- burdened by, if you have someone to share it with, that helps you. You know, shared sorrow is, is decreased sorrow. Shared joy is increased joy. Um, Proverbs 18 says, you know, to, be fr- to have friends, we have to show ourselves friendly. So I do think some of our loneliness, we have to own where that is our responsibility. I'm not saying it always is our responsibility. Um, but then the end of that verse says, what? There's a friend that sticks closer than a brother. God gives us his presence and his provision. Um, and God is enough, right? If we have God, um, that should be enough, at least in theory. I know that's hard at times to live out. Um, but I'd like you to think about this for a second. So loneliness... Is that always the antithesis of or the opposite of God's will? God says it's not good for man to be alone in the garden, right? Adam had God, and yet God said it wasn't good. That's crazy to think about. Adam walked with God in the cool of the evening, and God said, this isn't good. I'm not enough. So there is a desire in us for more. There's desire in us for community. So that's a God-given desire. So I don't want to anyway diminish that. But notice that God is the one who filled that void. Though God himself alone is not enough, that's clearly in the text there in Genesis 3, it is God who meets that need in the way that he chooses. And the tendency is I've noticed in those I counsel, I don't know if some of you who are up in years, maybe your adult children don't visit you as often as you think is not just preferred but right. Um, They're not thinking of you, and that's something that they need to own and fix and amend. But I would just caution us, often we focus that loneliness on everything and everyone except God. Um, that can produce bitterness and resentment and divisiveness. And so I would just encourage you to turn to God, the God who knows that he himself is not enough alone, and to let him bring into your life um, those that uh, he would choose. And I have found often where that is found and in others who are lonely. So being open to the need that you have in a loneliness makes you more sensitive to and open to connecting with others that are in that exact same situation. Um, Not just to commiserate, but to connect and to encourage each other. Um, And so we'd encourage you to get beyond the loneliness, see it from God's perspective, look to him first, and then be open to others he puts in your life who are lonely. I would would guess in your life there are others that have the exact same struggle. And if you would open your heart to them instead of maybe holding out against others who aren't connecting and looking out for you, there's some great opportunities for ministry there. So good question. Very good. Um, Well, I think our time is is about gone. And uh, I know there are many other questions that were uh, given that we weren't able to get to. Um, And so obviously Brother Harley will be here with us all day. And uh, so if you'd like to come up and maybe a question that did not get addressed, if you'd like to ask him personally or something, or maybe maybe this produced another question that you'd like to ask him, um, feel free to come up, and uh, he'll be maybe. around um, before and after the services and then tonight as well. So, uh, But really just appreciate him being with us this weekend and hope that this will help some of us in some of these areas. All right? Amen. Well, God bless you. We'll be dismissed, and we'll come back in just a few minutes for our morning worship service.